So Jonah gives us some interesting questions um, that are just really practical for our life and practical for obedience and just uh, don't seem so many centuries away when we peel it down to questions like, like, what do you do when you love God, but you just don't love his plan for your life? (laughs) What do you do when you're committed to serving and obeying him? You just have a different idea of what that should look like than he seems to be giving you at any given time. It's a tension that we live in between faith and obedience, between being who God has called us to be and doing what God has called us to do sometimes when God pushes us sometimes up to the edge of our comfort zone And sometimes he just gives us a swift kick over the edge of our comfort zone and says, I've got plans for you, and this is going to be a struggle. But we see this stubbornness uh, of Jonah that, as we saw last week, caused him to run away from God um, and away from God's will, but you can't run away from a God who's everywhere, Jonah discovers. So first he tried to run. And then when he realized he couldn't run, he simply just asked that his life would be ended. That's how much he disagreed with God's plan and how much he didn't want to cooperate with what God was doing in his life. And so um, maybe that misses you, but I imagine for most of us that catches us somewhere either in our past or in our present, or if not, that it might in our future. Turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, if you haven't already. Now, the previously unbelieving but now believing sailors that we looked at in chapter 1 have tossed uh, Jonah overboard, and he's drowning in the sea. And we left off, you remember, chapter 1, verse 17, that last verse that says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, now... This is often the focal point of this book for many people. In fact, for many people, that's all they know about the book of Jonah is this story of the fish. In addition, this particular story makes it difficult for some people um, to even believe in the Bible. Instead, they just choose to label it as mythology. I mean, do, do, do you really believe, they would say, that Jonah survived for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. Okay? Now, I like what Josh McDowell said years ago. Like, as a follower of Jesus, I don't have to check my brains at the door. right? I don't have to, to quit thinking and quit asking questions and quit investigating and all of those things. But neither should we expect that everything that a supernatural God does can be explained naturally, okay? Now, there are devoted followers of Jesus on on both sides of this discussion about whether this is a true story, the book and the story of Jonah, especially this particular part of it, or whether it's an allegory, meaning a, a created story with a bigger meaning. Now, Certainly, I'm not the authority on all things Scripture, okay? but I do believe that it is inspired, the Bible. And I do believe that it is without error. Um, and I also believe you can disagree with me on this and still be okay with Jesus. Okay? But you really ought to agree with me because it's the right view. 
Let me just give you that. Now, <laughs> so, so here are my thoughts about Jonah and the big fish, right? Um, by the way, the Bible never says it's a whale, okay? It just says a big fish. And when you read the story, it's written as a narrative style. It's written as a story, meaning that it's an actual story with actual events that happened. It doesn't read like an allegory in this particular part of it, nor in any other part of the book. Okay? Remember, we looked last week that Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings 14 as speaking truth to the evil king of Israel, Jeroboam. And all the places that are mentioned in the book are, are real, actual, um, historical places. Allegories are written in a different kind of way. But I think the main reason people believe um, the story is a myth because they think, you know, how can a person, a man, survive in a fish? It would take a miracle. Okay? And I would agree. It, it would and it did. Okay? It does say that the Lord provided a huge fish there in verse 17. Okay? And I think God does perform miracles. I also believe um, that God created the laws of science, right? He created the world we live in, and He can also supersede those laws of science. And you think about as time has gone on, things that we never thought possible or only happened in cartoons that actually are reality for us every day. Like I can send. I can send words, I can record my voice, I could send a picture anywhere in the world from right here without a wire, right? Never thought possible at one point. Think about things like um, plane travel, right, or space travel, or nuclear energy, and things that we've only caught up to God on, right? We've just discovered that seemed impossible years ago, but now within the laws of science, we can explain how those things happen. Well, it doesn't have to be scientifically possible, in my mind, for things to be true. God can supersede those things, but the question here is, like, can God provide a fish that can swallow a man alive and allow him to stay alive inside that fish for three days? Okay? Now, I think the answer is yes. Let me tell you who else thought the answer was yes. Okay? Some of you might recognize somebody by the name of Jesus, <laughs> okay? who in the New Testament, in the book of, chap of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 40, said this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? So I think Jonah is a real story just as I think Jesus was literally dead for three days and literally rose again from the dead. Have a difficult time explaining that with the laws of science, don't we? <laughs> but Jesus referred to the sign of Jonah as a real event and pointed and, and believed that it was indeed real. Okay? Turn over to Jonah chapter 2 now. In Jonah chapter 2, we read these words in verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So this chapter is going to be a prayer, okay? And it's going to read a little more like poetry, as these, I think, are the words of Jonah after he's been in the fish for three days, okay? Uh, after he's had time to think about his choices of running from God and, 
asking for his life to end and all of that. I think Jonah fully expected to die in the water. I don't think Jonah says, throw me overboard and God's going to provide some huge fish that's going to swallow me. Okay? I, I think that's how much um, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Just throw me overboard. Now, um, God rescued him. And I think this prayer, uh, this is Jonah's prayer of gratitude for God rescuing him even while he's inside the fish. That God, despite his running from God, that God still saved him. Look down at verse 2. Jonah says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Okay? Jonah is in the deep, okay? which he calls the realm of the dead. You know, It's like no hope for him down here in Davy Jones' locker. It's not going to work, right? But God knows um, that even though his downward spiral started with him running from God, God knows sometimes we refuse to look up until we hit the bottom. And I think it's fair to say in the belly of a fish, after he had been thrown into the sea, would be bottom for Jonah. And he cries out for help. And according to Jonah, like God listened to his cry. Look at verse 3. He said, you hurled me into the depths. You, God, hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled around me. And all your waves and breakers swept over me. Uh, think about this picture. Okay? Now, if you're, if you're imagining this large cavernous area and Jonah walking around with a lantern that's lit... Okay, you're probably in a um, fairy tale somewhere. Okay, and if you think that this is a whale named Monstro, okay, then you're confusing it for the story of Pinocchio, that uh, is a fictitious story. There, um, Jonah, like, like he's cramped. He's got to be cramped in darkness, swirled around as it is with seawater and seaweed. And who knows what other kind of nasty stuff is in there with him, right? But somewhere there's an air pocket. Um, but don't get the idea that he's comfortable here. He's just, uh, he has this nice place to relax and reflect on what's happening. No, I, I'm thinking like he's probably getting air in between all of this junk going around him. He's like, God, either, either finish me or get me out of here. I don't care which, but let's do something about this. And it's a mess. Okay, um, verse 4, I think, gives Jonah's desperation, but with a twist. Look at this. This is the prayer. He's recalling this. Now, we know he's not writing this in the fish, right? We know, like, this is not real time. He's looking back on all the things that happened. He says in verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your temple. It sounds like someone who maybe is ready to stop running from God. Jonah finally calls on God, but you'll note if you read through, like he never takes any responsibility for his actions to this point. He never owns that he ran away. He never owns that that was the wrong thing to do, any of that. And yet still, um, I think his, his cry is heartfelt, right? And there in the darkness... 
It's as if Jonah says, all right, well, you obviously still have a plan for me. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have died in the bottom of the sea or I would have died in this fish, either one. But you're keeping me alive, and so I will look again toward your holy temple. Okay, understand that for Jonah, like that represents where God's presence is on earth in the temple. I will once again, Jonah says, be in your presence. He's not yet on dry land, right? He's still in the belly of the fish, but he just seems sure that just as God rescued him from drowning, God's going to rescue him from this fish as well. And I, and I think the other thing that's interesting about verse 4 is like this is the first time that Jonah gets personal. It's the first time he seems to regret leaving his place in God's presence and his service in the temple. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. But here he turns for the first time and he looks back. Now in verse 5, again describing what's going on, he says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I think this is before the fish, right? To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me, or the, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But Jonah had finished his running. Like there's no way out. No survival skills are going to get you out of this fish at this point. Nothing can help you. Um, and so at this point, at the bottom of it all, helpless to change it, I think here we find his only option of surviving was to call on God and to hope. Now, that ought to meet most of us somewhere, right? From relational despair to financial um, disasters to health crises to parenting crises to crises with our parents. Like most of us know what it feels like to be without options and to call on God and to hope that he will meet us in that place. And that's what he did according to the end of verse 6 and 7. Jonah writes, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple okay now this is where jonah is starting to get really personal he addresses god as lord my god when he was back on the ship um, and life was over read through chapter one there okay he, he just soon as life was over he didn't call on god okay and when he's sinking to the bottom of the sea well all he could do is call on God <laughs> and God listened when Jonah couldn't possibly rise like his prayers did and found their way to God and I hope you've had that experience because it's um, it's incredibly moving when you realize you don't have what it takes and that God's going to have to intervene and he meets you there now the interesting part here is that Jonah's still not saved from doom right he's still in the belly of this fish yet he's resolved to change his heart and he's resolved to follow god's way which puts him back 
in a right relationship with God, whatever it may come. Have you ever felt that peace? Just being completely devastated, without hope, without options, without a lot of stuff. And, and you meet God there. And nothing's changed except for your heart. Like, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but me and God are good. And if me and God are good, I'm okay with that. That's where I picture Jonah. And now listen to him as he finds faith once again and, and steps back into his right mind. Spiritually, there in verse 8, he says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Right? Ever met someone um, like who's forfeited a grace that can be there? Sure we have. I mean, people we've introduced to the gospel, we've told them about the hope they could have, the God they could meet, and they say, no thanks, not quite ready for that yet. And they just, they, they ask for more trouble. Um, someone um, who's rejected God's love, someone who knew of God's love, but they've rejected it for some temporary love. Have you watched in the end that just proves worthless to them? They go chasing after other things, and all of a sudden there's this reality that, like, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Remember, Jonah wasn't written in the belly of the fish. He's writing later to an audience full of people who were probably tempted or actually worshiping idols, even though that wasn't Jonah's own personal story. Verse 9, he says, But I, I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now that's directly tied back to what God asked him to do in the first place. He said, I, I am committing that I will do what you've asked me to do. Hey, we're we're going to find out later. He doesn't like it any better. <laughs> his heart hasn't changed towards the people of Nineveh, but his heart has changed toward God. And it makes all the difference in the world. Jonah. Hmm. He's making vows to God. He's experiencing God's salvation personally before he's experiencing it literally. What I have vowed to the Lord, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And he vows to proclaim that salvation. But will he follow through? That's the question. Right? So it leaves us with the rest of the book. But verse 10 says this. After he made that statement and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Okay? So we're going to have Jonah round two when we get into chapter three. He's still alive, but this time with a second chance. The air's fresh. He's probably not, well, he might be fresh, but a different kind of fresh. Right? But he's on dry land under God's sky, and God's given him life. What would he do with it? Now, We'll pick up in chapter 3 next week, but I want us to think about some things that, might, um, that we might have in common with this story of Jonah or the person of Jonah in particular. And the first is this. If you're running from God, okay, be careful going fishing. Okay? Now, I like to fish, so not literally what I'm talking about, but Jonah says in verse 4 that he'd been banished by God. Okay? I don't think that's true, okay? It's, it's as if he had no option to return, but it wasn't true. Jonah was looking for the options, right, when he went down to Joppa. <laughs> he could have obeyed God, but he's the one who chose to go to Joppa. And it was only when he was in the deep water 
drowning by his own choice. Remember, on that boat, he could have also gotten right with God. He told the sailors, what? Throw me overboard. I'm not going to Nineveh, right? You feel that way? I know what you want, God, but I'm not going to do it. Now, you might not have been bold enough to say that. You just ignored him, okay? Or you said, forget it. We're not going to do it, that type of thing. But when his options were lost, short of God's rescue, that's where he found God. Okay? And think about it. Like if you're running from God, answer this question. If this is you, like if you're running from God, what are you running to? And what kind of hope is that going to give you for this life or for the life to come? Number two, if you're still in the pit, Call on God. Remember verse 7, he says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. It is more like more than recalling an event or something that happened. Verse 7 is Old Testament um, imagery for repentance and for calling on God. And when he was at the bottom, literally, at the bottom of the sea, he called on God. And while we're going to see in the rest of the book, Jonah has still not changed his mind about the people of Nineveh. He has about obeying God's call, and that's a beginning, right? It's a first step that repents and say, okay, God, you still have my heart. <laughs> you still have my life. I still belong to you, right? And, and it's a first step that sometimes we just need to do. Like, especially if you're in the pit and feel trapped in the life that you have created, sometimes that calling on God is that first step that gives us hope that things can change or that we can change. Number three, um, remember that we too were dead and that God has brought us back to life. All right? In the book of Ephesians, Chapter 2, Paul writes these words about us, not about Jonah, but about you and me. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trans transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. Okay? Jonah's, Jonah's place of death, right? The belly of the fish turned out to be a place of grace where he reconnected with God. Okay? The truth is, like the tomb where they placed Jesus, like anyone else would consider that a place of death, right? But God brought our salvation through that death and resurrection. We would do wise to remember that anyone who is going to live forever first has to die. Die to self. Now you don't have to make it as difficult as Jonah made it. <laughs> you can cooperate more with God, but the truth is unless you die, you're not going to cooperate with God at all. 
right? Unless you give up the thought that somehow you can save yourself, unless you give up the thought that somehow you're good enough, that you can be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, until you realize, like, without him there is no hope, okay? all of us had to die before God brought us back to life. Number four, here's a question for you. How are you doing with your part of previous vows or commitments? A lot of us have been in the belly of the fish, not literally, but spiritually. A lot of us have been or maybe are currently in the pit in that way. Jonah says in chapter 2, verse 9, What I have vowed, I will make good. Remember being separated from God? Remember that time when you uh, felt helpless? When you felt paralyzed? When you cried out to God? Remember a time when you bargained with God? Or you made promises to God? Do you remember the vows you made? Remember the commitments you made? God, if you get me out of this financial mess, I will live different as a steward of my finances. God, if you get me out of this mess, I will live different as a parent. I'll live different as a husband. I'll live different as a part of your church. I will give you my life. And yet here you are today. I mean, the sun's going to shine later today. You're on dry land. What are you doing with the second chance that God has given you? Have you forgotten that he rescued you? (laughs) Have you forgotten the commitment that you made to him to let him change your life? Is it time to revisit that? Or maybe to make good on that? Many people are like the guy who sent, sent this check to the government for back taxes with a note attached. The note said, I felt so guilty for cheating on my taxes that I had to, I had to send you this check. Okay? If I don't feel any better, I'll send you the rest of it. It's kind of how we work with God sometimes, right? Well, God, I, I give you a piece of me, and if that doesn't work, maybe then I'll consider giving you more. How are you doing with the vows or the commitments that you've made to God in your life? when he helped you get out of a jam. And then number five, Jonah reminds us that God is at work even when we can't see it. Such an important message if you're in the pit. Whether it's by your choice or whether it's by the choice of people around you, it's such an important thing to remember. Like God knew what Jonah's choices would be and how he would respond before any of them came to pass. And so God responded to each one of Jonah's choices, knowing what was coming next. I mean, God knew about the storm, and God knew about the fish, and God knew that he would give, second, give, give Jonah a second call, because God was the source of each of them. It was his way of lovingly disciplining Jonah for his heart to be right. There's a faith tension that we are called to when we follow God without knowing how things are going to turn out in the end. That's what faith is. If we could see what was going to happen, if we knew what was next, we wouldn't need faith. 
because we just walk by sight. But that's not how we live. God doesn't expect um, that everyone who obeys him, you and I, he doesn't expect us to have all of our tensions resolved. He doesn't expect that all of our questions are going to be answered. But he still asks us to walk forward in faith, realizing that even when we can't see it, God is at work. Jonah is still going to disagree with God. We're going to see that later in this book. Okay? It doesn't stop him from praising God. And it doesn't stop him from giving thanks to God. And as we watch, we're going to see it doesn't stop him from obeying God. Teacher was asked by some students in his class um, when a man should repent. And the teacher said, repent on the last day of your life. You know, put a lot of, lot of different spins on that, right? But the students say, well, we don't know when the last day of our life's going to be. Teacher said, well, then repent now. Have you been running from God? This wouldn't be all of us, but we'd be foolish, I think. It wouldn't be some of us. Have you been running from God? Have you been holding back or trying to keep a part of your life for him? Or from him, for yourself. Well, if you're refusing to do something that God has called you to do, could we just say, in light of that picture and this story, that maybe the best time to run back to him is now? That the best time to open your life to him is now? The best time for you to follow and obey his call is now. And the best time for you to trust him is now. Today could be the day of your salvation or the day of your reconciliation. The day for your obedience. Or maybe just the day that you finally found the freedom that can only be found in a life that obeys God and honors God. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. If you want to meet him today, to get something straight today, to pray with someone about what's going on in your heart today, we'll be at the back. I invite you to come back and pray with us, all right? Let's pray together. Father, this is a beautiful story of rescue, and it reminds us, of the times when you rescued us. When we were in darkness, when we were in the pit, either through our own choices or those of others or just living in a life that wasn't meant to be our forever home. And you met us there, Father. And faith was reborn. Lord, would you meet us here today so that our faith might be reborn or born for the first time are just renewed and we might know that you are alive and working on our behalf, whether we can see it or not, Lord. We thank you for your work in us and your work through us and your work among us. In the name of Jesus, amen.